My name is Christian, and this morning I will preach a message that focuses on anger. I've preached now for almost 25 years, and this will be the first Sunday where I've ever had a message focusing just on this theme. And it strikes me as I stand with you this morning as odd since so much of what I've seen over the last 25 years as a pastor has made it plain to me that this is one subject which is at the heart of most of what makes life difficult for most of the people that I interact with. That is that mismanaged anger ruins and wrecks relationships. Those things which God gives us to make our lives great are often most threatened by anger. Does that seem to ring true for you? Yeah. Uh, what we want together is to grow as followers of Jesus. That's our goal as a church, and that's my goal as your pastor, is to help you grow in that way in particular. And we want to grow to follow Jesus so that we can love our neighbors as ourselves, and so we can love God. Jesus said this was what it all came down to. And part of being a disciple involves learning how to feel, because uh, when we mismanage our feelings, it makes it impossible to love others, to love ourselves, and to love God. And so what we're aiming at together is putting our hearts into Jesus' hands. Uh, we want him to be the one who holds us so that we begin to live in a completely new way. And our theme this morning, anger, is especially uh, critical because of how potent anger is as an emotion. When it's not handled well, anger can be exceptionally destructive. Uh, if you were to dig beneath every news story where someone takes a gun and kills innocent people, at the bottom of it, you'll find mismanaged anger. If you dig beneath every conflict in which you found yourself at odds with someone that before you got along well with, probably what you'll find is some form of mismanaged anger. Whether it's between you and your parents, or you and your children, or your siblings, or the people that you work with, or the, people, or the person that you live with, the person who you lie down with at night, the one who you promised to love forever. Anger that's not managed well can ruin it all. On the other hand... Anger can be an incredibly positive emotion as it moves us toward the things which in the world ought to make us angry uh, so that we can be a part of bringing about the change that we all know needs to be brought about. You see how important anger is as a theme, don't you? Anger, managed well, will enable us to grow as followers of Jesus. And that's my goal with you. And as we grow in that way, we will find not only our own lives enriched, but also we'll become the instruments that God wants to use in the world around us. And listen now, I'm telling you, this is a conviction of mine all the way through and through, that the grace that God has extended to you, his salvation for you, which was free, uh, was extended so you would become his instrument of blessing in the world. And learning how to grow in, in managing our anger is a critical step in being the blessing that God wants us to be. And so we're going to learn this morning uh, from one figure who knew about anger and taught about anger in the book of Ephesians. Paul instructed the Christians there uh, in how to follow Jesus, and one part of which was how to feel angry. So let's look together at Ephesians 4. In verse 17, Paul teaches about the way of discipleship. And this is for all of us. Let's look together. 
Now, this I affirm and insist on in the Lord. You must no longer live as the Gentiles live, in the futility of their minds. Paul begins by noting that the guidance he's going to offer is not his opinion, but comes from God's spirit at work within him. This is instruction which comes from God through Paul to us, not from Paul, but rather from God himself teaching us what the way of discipleship looks like. And to put it simply, it looks like a new way of living in every area of life. I hope that you're aware of the fact that where you are right now in life is okay, but it could be better. And it could be better because you could live differently in some places than you currently are. Are there some of you who are with me in that regard? Yeah, so Paul says, you used to live as the Gentiles. This is a term that Paul is using here to stand for the person who has not yet been raised from the death of their sins into newness of life with Jesus. In short, this is someone who's not given their heart to Jesus yet. And when that's who you are, Paul says that you are in a place where your mind is futile. That means it is idle, vain, foolish, misguided in purpose, and ultimately frustrated. And now listen, Paul's not trying to insult anyone. He just wants to say it as it is. And can anyone in here acknowledge, especially around anger, that there are times where your mind is futile? Yes or no? Of course, yes. Listen, Paul wants his listeners to yield themselves to Christ so that they walk in newness of life. And that's what I want for every one of you in here. It's what God wants for me and for all of us together as a church. Now, he goes on in verse 18 to describe in more detail what it's like to be in that old way of life. Look at it and see if it matches your past experience, perhaps. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of their ignorance and hardness of heart. Ignorance to us is often used as an insult. It was not an insult here. Paul just meant to point out that there's a way of life in which you are living and stumbling around because you don't know any better. And maybe that's in your past. Probably for most of us, at one point or another, we can see that right now, even today, I will stumble around as if I'm ignorant of the right way to go. And, and another way to describe that is, it's as if my mind is dark, that I just can't see through this shadow and these shades that are enveloping me. Our emotions will often put us in places where it's very hard to see. Not only are our minds dark or are we stumbling around in ignorance, here Paul points out that it means in those moments we're far away from God. Uh, some have come in this morning and you've always felt far from God. And even this morning, maybe you're here hoping to feel closer to him. I hope that that happens for you. Others who've been close to him in the past can see when my emotions get the best of me, it's as if I'm as far away from God as ever. The image that Paul adds at the end of this clause captures that state of being when he says this phrase, hardness of heart. Uh, in Greek, it literally means uh, the petrification of heart. Uh, it, it's that in Greek, the stone heart. It's those moments where rather than having a flexible and a responsive heart, one that can uh, adjust and can receive and give tender feelings, can be patient and kind. Instead of that, it's a heart which is intransigent. It's, sol it's solidified. It's inflexible, rigid, and stubborn. That is the condition that Paul believes God has freed us from 
and he has in fact. And for us this morning, as we're working at learning how to feel, it is a great image for what it's like when we have let our feelings get out of control by taking our hearts into our own hands. Think for a moment of you when you're angry. Doesn't stone heart seem to be a good image? When you are wrapped up in what you're feeling and when you are swallowed up even as it might be for you, uh, you will see yourself in a way that you don't want to live. You don't want to be in the dark. You don't want to be ignorant of how you're affecting the people around you. Especially you don't want to be alienated from the life of God. This image, by the way, of, of a stubborn or stone heart goes way back in God's uh, history with his people uh, as the image uh, which will always keep us separate from God. Some of you in this morning have never come to the place where you've said, I want to give my whole self to God. I want to give my heart to him. And here is a moment, in your own mind, you're, you're free to do this, that you can say, God, I've never thought of all of my troubles being rooted in the fact that my heart is, is like a stone heart. And you can ask God, take it and give me a new heart. That's how God's transformation actually works. At the center of it, it's, it's a heart transplant, removing a heart of stone and putting in a heart of flesh instead. All of us who are walking with Jesus will know that on our own, we go down paths that put us in a place where our hearts become stubborn again. And so here the goal is for us to yield our hearts into Jesus' hands and, and this morning especially around this one specific feeling, the feeling of anger. That when our hearts become uh, enraged, when we find ourselves caught up in this kind of um, response of, of rage, what happens then? Uh, let me ask you to think now for a moment of the thing that gets you really angry. Uh, the experience or the situation or the person who's sitting right beside you uh, or the behavior. It was hard to laugh at that, wasn't it, for all of you? <laughs> L- let's just be real. It's often the people that we're closest to that trigger us most. Can we say that this morning? Yeah. Okay, we're gonna be, we're gonna be where we are, Okay so that we can learn to move forward by God's grace. That's why you're here this morning. Have you got that? So we can breathe easy. All of us have trouble when anger floods us. All of us do. And our natural responses to what makes us angry, whatever it was that you thought about, they're going to be unconscious and every one of them is gonna drive us in a direction which without careful attention will be bad for us. We will make it impossible for us to follow Jesus and impossible to be his witness in the world around. And I'm telling you now, all of you this morning will have some kind of natural response to what makes you angry that will be unhealthy. And they're not all the same. They fall into kind of three different categories. Some of you in here this morning, when you get angry, the gloves come off immediately and you are ready to fight. Do we have some of you here this morning? You, it's hard to admit, but you're like, yeah, you, if I insult you, then you're going to fight me. So let's do it. All right. That's one. The person who moves against whatever makes them angry is one kind of person. The second kind is the person who moves away from whatever makes them angry. You're like the opposite of that person. As soon as something which causes anger arises in you, you check out, you get away from it as fast as you can. You're not the person who is going to fight you're the person who is going to flee. For you, it's flight. The moment anger comes up, you move away from it. That's the second kind of person. Have we got some of you in here? A third kind neither fights nor flees, but tries to fix. 
This is the kind of person who moves toward whatever makes them or others angry. When anger happens, they, for whatever reason, feel that it must be their responsibility to fix it, and so they rush in, and even if they have to take responsibility for it, they're the fixer. So you have the fighter, the flyer, or the fixer. Which one are you? This is a moment for you to think for a moment. Uh, let me tell you what. Who you are is, a, is a really a matter of two things. Your natural uh, temperament, your given temperament, how God made you as a kid. That's the first thing. And the second thing is environmental factors from when you were young, especially. Now, let's think about our own uh, childhoods for a moment. When you were really little, the world felt very dangerous and threatening to you, and you couldn't take care of yourself. We were all in that same boat. And so every kid grows up with a kind of basic anxiety about the world being dangerous. Now, you did not realize it then, but the adults who were caring for you in life at that time, they were dealing with their own issues in unhealthy ways sometimes, and so they responded to you out of their own anxiety, which made your basic anxiety even worse. So maybe they were domineering, your parents. Uh, maybe they were overprotective or intimidating to you to get you to do what they wanted. Uh, maybe your father was irritable and over-exacting or over-indulgent or erratic, who knows. Maybe mom was partial to your other siblings or hypocritical or indifferent. And so that pushed you in that complex environment so that because of the basic anxiety growing in you, you had to, just like every other kid, try to figure out a strategy for how to respond. Um, do you know that every parent in here in one way or another is doing this to their own kids right now who are downstairs suffering because of you? <laughs> and and I, I, I'm glad you can laugh because no matter how hard we try, this is how it's gonna go. But what you need to understand right now is your basic response to anger. Whether you go against it all the time, that's how you naturally do it. Or you run away from it all the time, that's your natural inclination. Or you move toward it to try to fix it. That came because of what you experienced as you were growing up. And so maybe you were the kid who was always aggressive and you fought back because that's what you had to do then. And maybe you were the kid who closed off your whole inner life to everybody around you and even yourself. You just went off by yourself and you read and you hid away from it all because you just couldn't manage it. Or the strongest person in your environment who was so wild, you became the one who moved toward her and tried to take care of her and fix her even though she was your mom. And so you're, well, I'm gonna say this gently. You're kind of a mess when it comes to anger now. Whichever one it was. But you right now are just a grown-up version of that kid. So that's who we all are here. And what God wants in Christ is for all of us to grow up. And, and why? So that we can walk with Jesus. And, and the only way to do that is to give him these hearts of ours, whichever way they're inclined to go when we experience anger, so that we can become strong people, so that we can have self-control, the gift of the Spirit, so that we can be useful in the world around us, so that our relationships thrive instead of break down every time we face that thing that naturally makes us angry. And so how to do that, Paul teaches in just, in just a few words, a further down in Ephesians 4. So here, we put ourselves under this word that comes through Paul, but from God, about anger, so we can learn. Here it is, further down, Ephesians 4, 26. Uh, here's what Paul writes a little bit further on. Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And do not make room for the devil. 
It's, it's fairly short, just a few lines, but it's profoundly practical for every single one of us. It has something to give us that will guide us into true life. If you are the person who, whose natural response to anger is to go against it and start a fight, maybe you don't need to really listen up to the first two words here, but for the rest of us, those of us who are inclined to run away from anger or try to fix it, look at that, be angry. And that's the first bit of guidance for us this morning. Uh, one of the great misconceptions about anger, in my experience as a pastor, I've seen it especially in Christians, is that there's that, this idea that a faithful Christian never gets angry. Uh, the appeal of this sort of pietistic outlook is really tempting for the person whose habitual response to anger is either to flee or to fix uh, if that's you, you, you gotta take this as God's word for you this morning. Be angry. Uh, we all have experiences in life which cause entirely legitimate anger. Okay, you've got to take that to heart. Listen, there's plenty of things that you probably are getting angry about that you don't need to be angry about. And there's instruction for those that we can come back to. But there are plenty of things that legitimately should cause us to feel angry. And if we tell ourselves, I don't feel angry at that, even though we do, it does not make the feeling vanish, okay? When you repress anger, all you're doing is pushing it down like a seed into the soil, and it will grow up at some point in some sideways direction, and when it comes out, the, the plant that grows from repressed anger is a poisonous plant. Believing that you shouldn't feel what you actually feel will only separate you from your own heart, and then you won't be able to love the people around you. You won't be able to love yourself. You won't be able to be you around other people. You'll become a phony person, and you'll cut yourself off from God. So, if you're feeling angry, you have to feel whatever you feel. That's not where we're gonna go, but that's where we have to start. Can we agree that when we're angry, it can be okay? Yes? And listen now, this is also critical, even if the anger is directed toward God. Because all of us at one time or another will have to experience a loss, which will make us wonder if God really is good and make us feel angry at him. And if we feel that, then this is the Bible verse for you to memorize just the two words, be angry. Years ago, I was uh, at the church that uh, I planted down in, in, in the shore. I was uh, shocked when one of the, these bright young Christians who had been such a brilliant part of our church suddenly disappeared. Uh, he was a kid that I'd met when he was 16. Uh, he told me when we first met that when he was seven, his parents divorced and his entire world ended. Uh, he was so hurt uh, at that division between mom and dad and so despairing, he thought it was his own fault, as often happens when you're that age and parents split up. And so what he did is he turned his anger at the situation against, and he guesses, himself. And so now as an eight-year-old, angry at himself for causing the worst thing that ever happened in his life, he had to do something with his anger. And so in his case, the response was to bury it and to become very kind and generous and effusive to all the people around him. So when I met him when he was a teenager, he was a brilliant and fun person to be around. Everyone loved being around him. Tragedy followed this kid. Uh, by the time he was 17, he had been to three funerals for his peers, the last of which was for one of his closest friends who stepped in front of a train on his birthday. He came that day to my office, broken, and then I didn't see him for almost a year. When I finally caught up with him again, 
he shared, he said this, I realize why I'm so far away from you and from God and from everyone else. I know that I'm supposed to feel grateful to God for all that he's done for me. But in these last months, it's dawned on me that I'm just angry at God. And since I could never be angry at God since he's been so good to me, I've stayed away. And I figured I should stay away until I'm not angry anymore. Cancer that that ends the life of a, a kid who's not even a teenager yet should make us angry. And drunk driver that uh, kills a, another friend should make us angry. And suicide should make us angry. And when we feel those things and we feel angry and we believe that we're not supposed to be angry at God, here, we should remember this. That's the first lesson for us this morning about anger. When it comes, you have to feel what you feel. Listen, it's not only practical to to accept that teaching, but theologically, we have permission to feel angry, not just because of these two words, but do you know that if you go to the scriptures, you will discover that over and over again, especially in the Old Testament, we hear this, that God himself feels angry in response to things that destroy the well-being of people that God loves. Did you know that? For some of you, this might be a new discovery. But over and over again, there are threads woven through the witnesses of the prophets about who God is that teach us that when one person mistreats another person, it causes God to feel angry. That when the powerful use their power to oppress the weak, it makes God feel angry. When orphans and widows are disrespected by people who are in power, it causes God to feel wrath. And that gives us permission also in moments where we ourselves are are tempted to feel angry because things don't seem right. God is angry. We ourselves also can be angry. Did you hear that? If you're in discussion groups, actually, let me see this. How many of you have signed up for discussion groups? Okay, wonderful. You know, you have to go in addition to signing up for it to count, okay? (laughs) I heard that there were some that were. But in in discussion group this week, you'll actually read from the Bible about things that make God angry. And so that's the first lesson for us is that anger is something that is natural and we can and will experience and we should let ourselves feel it when we do. But look, now here's the second lesson from Ephesians 4, uh, 26, when it goes on to say, but do not sin, This is the second uh, bit of instruction that must be kept in tension with the first because the person who gets angry and then lets that anger guide her immediately into whatever reaction is inclined to come for her is going to be a disaster. And this is why Paul's first word of instruction is negative. Do not sin, he says in anger. Sin is a word uh, that depicts a departure from the right path. And Paul, for good reason knows that any departure from the right path is just bad for you. When you sin, it separates you from God and your true self, it's bad for you. But here, the reason to put this guidance right after his uh, word of freedom, that you can be angry, is because anger is a dangerous emotion to have in your heart when you're departing from God's way. Do you know how anger distorts? Do you know how powerful it is of a distorter for you? Paul, knowing that, gives this guidance right in connection with anger. Think of this for a moment. Anger distorts your view of other people. Are you aware of that? All right? You get angry and your mom or your dad suddenly looks like an enemy to you, but they're your mom or dad because anger, anger makes you blind. It turns your friend 
who's your friend, into an adversary in your eyes. And it's only because you're angry that they look like that. God can send his own prophet right to your door with a word from God, and when you're angry, you can't hear or receive anything that God wants you to give because anger distorts your view of the other person. That's the first distortion. Listen, there's a second way it distorts. It doesn't only distort your view of others, it also distorts your view of yourself. Are you aware of this? You think that you sound a lot calmer than you actually do when you're angry. Did you know that? <laughs> you have no way of seeing the tone of voice that that other person hears. You, when you're angry, you're gonna do this. I'm not yelling! And you think you're not yelling. Did I scare you? I'm sorry, I scared you. But that's what happens when you're angry. You can't see yourself accurately. Listen, a little more narrow, not only are you not seeing them or you, your ability to reason is distorted when you're angry. That's why in our juridical system, we have a distinction between a crime of passion on the one hand and one that was reasoned out on the other. Because when you are inflamed with anger, your mind stops working as well as it was before. Okay, trust me when I say this right now, it's true. I once met a woman who was proud to tell me that she hadn't talked to her sister for six years. I asked her why. She said, when our mother died, the chest of drawers went to my sister when it should have gone to me. And I decided right then never to talk to her again, and I still haven't to this day. To her, that seemed completely reasonable. And that's what anger does to you. It messes with your reason, and not only reason, a little narrower, anger messes with your sense of justice. And now, listen, now think of that person who you wish you were less angry at or more controlled uh, in responses. It might be a spouse if you're married. It might be your friend who's been getting uh, on your nerves. It might be uh, a colleague at work or whatever it is. When you're angry and responding in anger to them, you think the right response, the just response is this, but it's not. And you can't tell because anger distorts. A perceived slight from that other person will make you react in rage, and then it will have you imagining that the offender deserves to be utterly destroyed. And of course, this is what anger does. When you're angry, your sense of what would be an appropriate response is not trustworthy, and all four of these distortions are why Paul especially urges his readers to take care not to depart from God's way when they're feeling angry. The potential for danger and destruction is amplified when you are in a rage. Now listen, what Paul wants for you and for me is to no longer live as the Gentiles with their hardened hearts, but instead to give our hearts to him, even when they're angry, so that they become soft and pliable and capable hands so that our anger no longer leads us, but something else does. And listen to me, the one who wants to lead you, even when you're in the midst of anger, is the living Lord Jesus Christ who loves you through and through. And he loves you when you're calm and quiet and he loves you when you are in a rage. He, he loves you at all times. And what he wants for you personally and, and he wants us for our church as well, is for us to grow to feel anger in the right way, which means to put our hearts into his hands when we're in a rage so he can guide us. And here I want to be as, as practical as I believe Paul wanted to be when he wrote this word to the Ephesian church. Look at the last part of his clause with me again. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. This is very practical guidance. And do not make room for the devil that last part is the conviction 
upon which Paul is offering this advice. Now, I know not everyone has the same ideas about the devil, but listen to what Paul's belief is. He believes that mismanaged anger makes room for the devil. That's what he believes. When you let yourself be guided by your rage into a counterattack, if that's in, in your inclination, or when you flee from anger to protect yourself, if that's how you respond, or when you go toward it compulsively taking responsibility for someone else's mess so you can fix it, whatever your impulse is, if it's not guided by Jesus, Paul says here, you're giving the devil permission to take over for you. And what he means by devil is that malevolent power, call it whatever you want, evil, bad habit, uh, darkness, he's saying you're giving uh, the wheel to that power and saying you take over because I just don't want to uh, or can't do it anymore. And, and we don't want to give space to that malevolence, do we? No, what we want is to have a strategy. And, and that first part, which is don't let the sun go down, is, is very good and simple guidance. It means deal with your anger on the day that you are experiencing it. Okay, don't wait until tomorrow. Don't push it down, but develop a strategy right now be proactive, and I have four steps for you that, I, that aren't directly here, but I think they emerge from it, and they're faithful for you to know how to guide, uh, deal with your anger. Here's the first step. There's gonna be four. The first is wait. Now, that is don't react. Okay? If you can't help it in that exchange with your spouse or that exchange with a coworker or at church with the person in that group you've been involved in, if you can't help it, what you need to do is be quiet for a moment and ask God to help you. Say, God, I need your help right now. You can say a brief prayer like that and then say, God, take my heart, help me because I feel angry and I know I should wait before I move in the direction that my anger naturally inclines me to go. If you were here last week in the message on fear, I talked about the pause between feeling and action same thing with anger. Look at Proverbs 29, 11. This is beautiful wisdom from God's word. A fool gives full vent to his anger, but the wise quietly holds it back. Don't be a fool. You don't have to be, okay? Don't go right for the fight or run or try to fix. Wait and, and tell your adversary, hey, I realize that in this moment, I need a, I need a minute. I need to step out. Uh, I, I need to cool off for a few minutes. And you can do that with the person at home, in the living room, or in the kitchen. You can do that at work. If you're in a meeting, you can say, you know what, I need to use the bathroom. Let me take a break. Whatever it is, before you react, wait, hold back. That's the first one. Now, you can't only do that because if you go on forever holding back on your anger, bearing it down, you are going to have the experience of serenity now. Help me out. Anybody know it? insanity later. Lloyd Braun? No one loves Seinfeld? <laughs> the, the second is reflect. Okay, after you wait and in your waiting, you need to reflect. When your feelings are really intense, they're a signal that you need to do some digging. And if you will do that from anger, if you will pause with your anger and reflect on it and dig down, what you'll find is almost always there are other deeper feelings beneath that anger which are harder for you to accept, and that's why you naturally explode in anger instead of letting yourself see that actually really what's going on here is I'm afraid. Or actually what's really going on here is I'm hurt really badly and it's hard to admit that. Or I'm ashamed and that's why I'm exploding here. Let me be specific, right? You're at work, your coworker makes a mistake that ruins the fourth quarter profits and so you freak out and, and yell at the coworker and you're intensely angry. But if you paused and stopped and said, wait, what's really going on? Really beneath your anger is fear that their mistake is gonna make it so you don't have a job anymore. And you're really afraid of that. 
And the reason you need to reflect like that is if you can go to them and say, you know, that mistake has made me really afraid. Now together you can work on a solution to, to shore up the business rather than push them away. Do you see it? Right? Or maybe, uh, maybe the response uh, at a party where your friend points out a character flaw that you've always been kind of embarrassed about and everyone else laughs and you get angry at them is not really about anger. It's about shame, about that thing that you wished you could change about you, but you can't. And if you reflect instead of reacting, and then you see in that reflection, you know that thing that they brought up that everyone laughed about? I'm actually ashamed of that. And if that's a real friend, you can go to them and say, hey, I, just, I need to tell you this as a friend. I'm so sensitive about that because it's a part of me that I don't like. Maybe you can help me straighten it out. That's what God wants for our friendships. But when all we do is rage, guess what? That friendship is gonna be over. Maybe it's neither one of those. Maybe it's pain. Maybe he did the very same thing that you asked him not to do a million times. And even though it's really small, you are seeing red again and, and you're enraged at him. But if you would dig beneath it, you'd see, you know, the real thing here is hurt. When he does that, it makes me feel like he doesn't care about me and that hurts really bad because I'm afraid that no one cares about me. And you need to see that it's pain that's beneath it. Whatever it is, if you will wait and if you will reflect, God will show you that beneath anger is almost always something deeper down. And when you discover that, then here's strategy step number three. It is to talk. And the first one you should talk to is the God whose ear is always waiting for you to speak. And you should do it. When you get angry and you step back and reflect and then you feel whatever it is, even and especially if it's anger toward God, you should talk to God about it. And if you've had a hard time imagining that a Christian or a follower of Jesus could be angry at God, read Psalm 13 and notice there the questions which emerge from that psalmist, all of them revealing a deep kind of pain and hurt that has anger also mixed into it. You can say to God, whatever it is you're feeling, you should talk with him about what you're feeling. And then after talking with him, reach out to a trustworthy person. Hopefully it's someone who's also working at following Jesus. Maybe it's someone that God introduced you to here at the church. Maybe it's someone who you're going to be in a discussion group with later this evening or this week. And I hope for it. I hope that in discussion groups this week, you have an astounding level of honesty in the way that you open up to each other that you're allowed to and free to say to another person in this group, all right, I just have to be honest. It's this tiny thing that my friend does and I always get angry and talk about it. God gave us each other to help one another. Some of you will know this proverb, as iron sharpens iron, so too one person sharpens another. And that's what we need each other for. So that's step number three, to talk to God in prayer and then talk to the others. And here's step number four, the last step, and you can do this every day you feel angry before you go to bed, it's to release it in some way. Uh, the energy that comes from strong emotions is a physical energy that needs to be let out. Maybe you need to go on a, a long walk before you go to bed and, and walk fast. Um, my strategy when I went through the darkest and most angry time in my life was to go to the garage. I found an old ax. And listen, now I left the house. I didn't stay in the house with the ax. And I went out into the woods and found a dead tree and I chopped that thing down with my bare hands on the ax. And when it fell down, I chopped another one down. And every swing, I put something I was angry at into that tree. That was my way of physically releasing it. And then you call this to mind about God. And this is the way you release it before and into the hands of the one uh, who loves you. It's the end of Ephesians 4. Look at what Paul writes in verse 30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God which, with which you were marked for a seal 
for the day of redemption. God looks at you and has sealed you with his Holy Spirit and the thing that causes him grief is when you carry anger that you're supposed to let go to him. Look at what he says. Put away from you all bitterness and wrath and anger and wrangling and slander together with all malice. That's another way of saying release it. Let God take it. Jesus said this. Come to me if you're carrying heavy burdens and I'll take them. Give him what you're angry about. Talk to him about it in the evening. Say, this is what I'm facing. And then look at the last verse here. This is 32. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted. Those two images are the opposite of anger, kindness and a heart that is soft in Jesus' hands. And do that. And the reason you can do that is in the last clause right there. Forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. Here, let this be your last thought after you're working at processing your anger. God forgave me in Christ when I was a complete and total disaster. And he did that because God's anger is but for a moment. His love is for a lifetime. There is no end to God's love for you. And you remember that and his forgiveness and let that be your last thought. And you're on the path to dealing with anger in a way that represents your heart in God's hands. Can we work at this together? Good. Good, let's do that. And let's become people who are growing as followers of Jesus, a church that is growing to follow Jesus so that we can be God's instrument of blessing wherever we are. Let's pray together for that, amen. God, we love you and thank you so much for this brilliant teaching about anger that comes to us from the Apostle Paul. We thank you for the way that you invite us just where we are to grow and become what we've not yet become. This morning, we ask that we would be able to surrender our hearts to you yet again, and that in your hands, you would be teaching us to be faithful in our way of responding to anger. Help us be okay being angry where we are. Help us not uh, let the distorting power of anger guide us into sin, but instead help us wait and help us reflect and then talk with the people that you've given us, and then help us release what makes us angry so that we ourselves can grow. We ask for this in Jesus' name, amen.